This Steel Profiles podcast is brought to you by AISC Continuing Education. The new spring seminar schedule has just been announced. Register early for best pricing. Visit AISC.org slash seminars to find a seminar in a city near you. Welcome to the second episode of Steel Profiles. I'm your host, Margaret Matthews, Senior Engineer in the Continuing Education Department at AISC. Our guest today is Shankar Nair, Principal and Senior Vice President of Tang & Associates, Inc. in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Nair received his undergraduate degree from the Indian Institute of Technology in 1965 and his Master's and Ph.D. in Civil Engineering from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign in 1966 and 1969, respectively. In a career that is focused on structural engineering for large architectural and civil engineering projects, Dr. Nair has designed many major bridges, including structures for interstate highways over the Mississippi River and the structural systems of many skyscrapers. The quality of engineering in this work has been recognized by numerous awards, including four AISC Prize Bridge Awards. His bridge designs included the longest tide arch in the world. Active as a researcher and lecturer, Dr. Nair has published numerous technical papers and has held positions of leadership in many professional societies and committees. He was inducted into the National Academy of Engineering in 2005 for his contributions to the art and science of engineering through the design of innovative bridges and building structures. And most recently, he was elected chairman of the AISC Specification Committee in November 2009. Thank you so much for coming today, Shankar, to be our second interviewee for our new podcast series. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule. Glad to be here. So you stepped into the specification chairman position last November 2009. What did it mean to you to be asked to become the next chair? Well, I felt honored indeed. Uh, I knew I would be following some very capable engineers, engineers whom I have admired a long time, enormously, and this was also a great responsibility that I was being entrusted with. Uh, must confess, though, that I also felt some regret at having to give up the chairmanship <laughs> of the Stability Task Committee. <laughs> I had an excellent group of people in that TC, and I thought we had achieved a lot there. And uh, I enjoyed the detailed, technical, nuts-and-bolts work of the Task Committee. Uh, you know, the give-and-take, where I would look to the academics for the correct solution, and then back off from there to something that designers could live with. And uh, I'll have to give that up now as chairman of the overall committee. And that was the stability yes, task committee? that is correct. And you were chair of that for how long? I was chair of that for, I believe, about six years. Six years. And you've been on the spec committee since 98? That is correct. Is that right? Yes. So you've been around for a while. Yes. What was your first act as chair? Well, actually, uh, you said my term started in uh, November 2009. That is when I was elected, and I sort of started acting as chairman then, but officially it started only the beginning of 2010. Okay. Anyway, my first act, I suppose, was to discuss the technical committee leadership and the chairmanships with uh, Cindy Duncan, and then I called the new and outgoing chairman, and uh, some of the new chairmen required a bit of persuasion, <laughs> because the TCs, and especially their chairman, really do the heavy lifting for the uh, Committee on Specifications. Uh, the overall Specifications Committee is mostly a review and approval kind of organization. The real detailed technical work is done by the task committees. So and do you choose who the chair of each task committee is? Is that yes, part of your... Yes, yeah. Uh, I, with, uh, with the advice of the AISC staff. And the more, some of the more active committees and their chairman work very hard indeed. Uh, in fact, Jim Fisher persuaded me to accept the chairmanship of the overall committee, partly by telling me that it would be less work than I was doing as chairman of the Stability Task Committee. 
Well, that's that would be Jim, yes. <laughs> so Jim had to talk into it. That's interesting. Ah, uh, yes. It he was an honor, it but it, <laughs> it was an honor, but also a lot of work and it's a, a big challenge. Sure, yes. sure. Uh, speaking of Jim, yes. Jim Fisher was our first podcast interviewee. He was the outgoing uh, specification chair, and his philosophy was always as few changes as possible. So, what is your most important goal for the next specification? <laughs> Well, there are several goals, actually. It's hard to set just one. One goal, of course, is to make as few changes as possible. I Jim agree with Jim. Jim will be glad to hear that. Yes, yes. And the changes that are made will be based on the bywords that have governed the specification or its development all, all along, and that is safety, economy, usability. Safety, of course, is absolute. We can't compromise on that. Economy of the result of using the specification is important. And finally, the usability of the document itself is important. People have to be able to use it comfortably or they'll design in something else. And the one additional byword that I would like to add is uh, transparency. There are too many places in all the specifications, not just ours, where the designer really has no idea where something is required. So then the specification becomes like a black box where you put the numbers in and you get a code-compliant result out of it. Right, even though you're not exactly sure why you're doing what you're doing. Exactly. And that black box approach can be comforting when you're used to it, uh, but it's, it's just not good engineering and it can be dangerous. Just to take one example, uh, consider the, the use of effective length factors, the so-called K factors in design for stability. Engineers have been doing this for years, and many of them, perhaps most, believe that the K factors were meant to account for second-order effects and P-delta effects. But that's not really what K factors do, mm -hmm. and they don't realize that. You are actually supposed to do a second-order analysis and apply the K factors. All that the K factors do is that they compensate for neglecting initial imperfections and inelasticity in the analysis. And if you do that directly, then you can use a K of one, and that's the new direct analysis. Direct method. analysis method. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of usability, the spec and, and the usability of it, what do you think the right balance is between reality and simplicity in the spec? I think that ultimately it should be up to the designer to decide the right balance between accuracy or reality and simplicity. And the specification should allow the designer to make that choice. So as I see it, the ideal is a rational, transparent specification that would allow the designer to perform a rigorous evaluation based on certain very general requirements, which would be specified. And the specification would also spell out a simpler prescriptive approach that could be used as a conservative approximation or a conservative alternative. And the choice of which approach, uh, approach to use should be the designers. I mentioned that our interview last month was with Jim Fisher as the outgoing chair. My last question to him, I asked him what he thought that you would bring to this position as chair. At the time, I didn't realize that he had talked to you into taking it. This is what he answered. So we'll listen to this clip. I have known Shankar Nair probably over 45 years. We were both uh, graduate students together. I'm a little older than Shankar, because then that's because he was so smart, he, he advanced quicker than I did. But, but he is one of the most uh, intelligent engineers uh, that I know, and also he's uh, very uh, savvy politically, and I believe from watching him as past committee chairman, he's a very influential leader. I think he'll do a great job. I'll keep working on him and make sure he uh, he's in tune with uh, not making changes to the spec and that uh, we should simplify the specification whenever we can. And uh, I'm sure that the whole committee, again, will uh, join in and be as helpful as, as possible. So 
I know he'll enjoy uh, his tenure as uh, chairman as much as I did because it, it really has become a family to uh, many of us. Okay, so that's what Jim had to say. What, what's your reaction to that? <laughs> well, I'm flattered by what he said, especially so as I have the greatest respect for Jim and for everything that he's achieved over the 40-plus years that we've known each other. And as it happens, this is the second time that I'm following directly in his footsteps. Uh, the first time was as chairman of the ASCE Steel Buildings Committee. Oh, okay. Uh, I enjoyed following in them, and, and I'm sure I'll enjoy it this time. Uh, and Jim did a really great job of leading the introduction of the first combined ASD-LRFD specification in 2005, and then its consolidation in 2010. Uh, he's going to be a tough act to follow. Uh, yes, the 2005 spec was uh, groundbreaking. So, do you have do you have any other thoughts? On, what did you think? You were on the specification committee what, when it was taking place. What did you think? It was a way to bring ASD back into the picture. AISC stopped updating ASD after the 1989 specification. The beloved green book. Yes, the beloved green book. And actually, I heard what Jim said, and I'm not completely sure I agree with him there. <laughs> in, <laughs> in that, uh, I think the intention when LRFD was introduced is that it would uh, replace ASD. Yes, uh, and Jim didn't seem like he ever thought that was going to happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but many engineers clung to the old 1989 ASD uh, because it seemed simpler than the more recent LRFD specs. Uh, but the reason that it seems simpler is not that ASD is inherently simpler. It isn't. The reason it was simpler is because it was older and more primitive and didn't reflect the latest knowledge. And now that ASD, ASD has been brought up to date, it is really no simpler than LRFD, but it will often produce slightly less economical solutions. You talked about your, in your career that innovation has been um, always been a key element. What is the greatest uh, innovation in steel design and construction you have seen over the course of your career? Well, if you it, could just pick one. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it has been 45 years since I got my basic engineering degree, and actually what is surprising is how little has changed. Really? Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, materials have improved around the edges, but they're really not any stronger. Uh, I specified 100 KSI steel for a bridge 40 years ago, and I haven't used anything stronger since. Mm -hmm. And the design methods also have not changed in any really basic way. Of course, computers have made a difference, both in routine uh, design and at the upper end. And that has changed the way that the profession works a little. Uh, 40 years ago, the ability to analyze a 60-story building with reasonable accuracy on a mainframe computer, which in those days had 8K memory, was a very valuable skill. Uh, now today, any engineer can do that on a laptop using off-the-shelf software. So in a way, the structural analysis is a skill that may have lost much of its value now, because the computer can do it so easily and routinely. And with the easier analysis has come a greater appreciation for the importance of behaviors beyond just resisting load, such as comfort of occupants and so on. Now, I realize I haven't answered your question, which, <laughs> which was about the greatest innovation, and that's because they re nothing really jumps out at me. Um, I suppose the introduction of LRFD would be up there on any short list. There have been big innovations in particular types of structures. Uh, for instance, in tall buildings, uh, in the 70s, the frame tube seemed all-conquering. Now, you never hear of it. The core plus outrigger is the, is the design for almost all super tall buildings. Same way for bridges, uh, cable state designs seem to come out of nowhere. 
and have displaced uh, suspension bridges for all but the very very uh, longest spans. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the innovations that have happened. But I can't think of any one that overshadows all others. So you don't think it's a computer? <laughs> I don't think it's the computer, no. So what advances do you predict for steel design and construction in the next 15 years? Well, I see design becoming more rational, more performance-based, and possibly more automated. And eventually, though not in my lifetime, I see that routine methods of analysis and prediction of behavior will become so precise that codes and specifications would need to do a little more than specify the required level of reliability. I mean, that would be the ultimate in performance-based design. And in the nearer term, within the 15-year window in your question, I see LRFD winning greater acceptance, as we've already discussed. <laughs> and as for steel construction, the big picture trend for at least the past 60 years has been to use uh, more material and less labor. So much of what has been changed in construction as a result of that trend or that imperative to reduce labor cost even if it meant more material. But now for the first time, for the first time certainly in, in a long time, in several generations, uh, we have these concerns about energy and conservation of resources. And so there may be pressure to use less material now. And I really have no idea how all this will shake out. But yes, I see the balance that will yes. have to be struck between yes, the two. Exactly. What are the best steps that we can take to encourage good candidates to join the structural engineering profession and to bring them from students to productive engineers and contributors to society? To attract the best talent, uh, structural engineering simply needs to become more visible. Um, in high schools and college campuses, as well as in society, uh, we are th we are the invisible profession. People think architects and others do all our work. Uh, and as part of that, becoming more visible, structural engineers should not let uh, the fear of offending their architect clients stand in the way of taking taking credit for their own work. Uh, they shouldn't be afraid to blow their own trumpets. Very good. Yes, I never thought about it like that. <laughs> and engineers are, are just are simply too modest, structural engineers. We are, aren't we? Yes. There are the things we do that are really mind-boggling in the way that people's lives depend on what we do. Yes. And we don't, we don't make a fuss about it. We're too quiet about it. Yeah. We just go to work and do it, yeah. and, and that's the end of it. Yes. And people, people count on us because if we, if we mess up, uh, people die. It's important. So you think just maybe better recruiting and, and just... Better publicity for what publicity, engineers yeah. do so that it becomes a more, quote, glamorous, unquote, <laughs> profession. People need to know the importance of what we do. Yes, and understand what we do. I think and a lot of people do. don't know what we do. Exactly. I get that question a lot. What yes. is it exactly that you do? Yeah, so. but the architect does that. What do you do? Exactly. <laughs> we hear that all the time. Yes, all the time. <laughs> Who uh, was your mentor, and what lessons do you remember from that person? <laughs> I was afraid you would ask that, because <laughs> <laughs> I know it is bad form not to name a mentor. <laughs> but I really cannot think of any single person whose lessons uh, set me on the road through my career. Uh, now, my father was a structural engineer, oh, but he was a civil engineer more than structural. And that had some effect, certainly, on my choice of career. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if, I, if he was really my mentor, partly because he passed away before I really reached adulthood. I've learned valuable lessons from people throughout my life, and I'm still learning every day. <laughs> so I can't really point a lesson from a mentor. <laughs> 
Okay, well, what lesson do you want your protégés to remember from you? Okay, that's a little easier, because I do try to pass on certain messages and lessons to the young people around me uh, at the office. Uh, the first thing, most directly related to work, is uh, look for simple, direct solutions to problems. The simplest solution is usually the best. That's what I tell them. Don't be afraid to innovate. Don't let the thought that something has never been done before deter you from what rational engineering tells you is the right solution. If you do your engineering right and you decide that something is the right way to do it, just do it, even if it's never been done before. The last lesson, and perhaps controversial, is uh, don't be defensive. Uh, don't be afraid of lawyers. <laughs> just practice good engineering and you should have nothing to fear. Don't be afraid of the lawyers. That's a fantastic quote. So we're coming up next week on your first first specification committee meeting um, since you became chairs. I assume you're probably very busy getting everything ready and getting prepared for that. Actually, uh, surprisingly, it doesn't take much work for me because uh, Cindy and others do all the work. Uh, AISC staff does a lot of work and the TCs do a lot of work. I'm actually less busy than I would have been at this stage, at, on this date, than I would have been if I were the chairman of the Stability Committee. Well, there you go. Jim was right. It's Jim less was work. Right. <laughs> Jim was right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not counting on that continuing, but for the moment, uh, Jim has proved yeah. right. I guess we're just getting started on this one. So I guess when we get towards the end, towards 2016, and it's ready to come out, that might be when you're... Well, yes. When I start trying to change things and people resist, and then that's when... That's when the real work starts. That's when, yes. Well, thank you so much again for, for taking time out of your schedule to, to come and talk with us. It's been a pleasure. And we look forward to, uh, to the great things that you'll do as chair. I certainly hope that they will be worth thinking about and talking about. <laughs> this has been a presentation of the American Institute of Steel Construction. Next month's podcast will feature an interview with welding expert Dwayne Miller. For more information on AISC continuing education opportunities, please visit us on the web at AISC.org seminars. And remember, there's always a solution in steel.